Welcome to SU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season five, episode six, Coerced. Opening scene, a mom was on the phone with her son's father discussing switching the arrangements made for the week in custody. She's just single momming and she's making breakfast and she's just kind of hustling around trying to get everybody going for the day. She tells her son, Eric, to go wake up her other son, Adam. And he's like, oh, I wanted to go with dad. She's like, can't. Grandma's birthday. Go get your brother. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's exactly (laughs) the conversation. He's like, Mom, come here. Adam's gone. The window to the fire escape is open and the window screen is on the floor. So now we have the officers and SVU at the crime scene. Stabler's talking to Mom. She reminded me of somebody. She kind of reminded me of Parker Posey. (gasps) Me Um, too. I couldn't figure out who she was, though. Was that who who she reminded you of? That's who she reminded me of, yes. Yeah. There were so many people in this episode that did not have long careers. They had maybe three four roles and I think she was one of them but yeah she has Parker Posey mouth yep she does yep yeah Stabler talks to mom she says she tucked Adam in at 8 30 and checked on him at 11 the window was cracked to cool the room off it's like New York City you can't do that get a fan I don't know mom thinks her ex-husband Peter took Adam because he's not happy with the custody agreement she hands Stabler a photo of this dude Peter it's a posed headshot where he's half of a buddy comedy he's got his arms crossed hang on I'm gonna (laughs) he's posed like <laughs> yeah, he's posed like us in the cartoon that Ketter drew of us that we use all the time. Um, <laughs> Ew, what? <laughs> I didn't even see that. So Peter wants sole custody of Adam. Eric and Adam are actually half-brothers. So now Benson's questioning the older brother, Eric. Everything seemed normal to him, and he hadn't noticed anyone watching them through the windows. Upstairs, hot bomb squad crime lab guy examines the window screen. He doesn't think the dad took him. The screen has a diagonal cut rip in it, but it bends out. Benson and Stabler think that the perp cut the screen from inside the house, maybe to make it look like Adam was kidnapped. Now outside of the apartment, Cragen is talking to the press about Adam's disappearance as the cops pass out flyers with Adam's information on him. Cragen announces that an Amber Alert was issued and SVU is checking on all of the tips that are coming in. And unless they hear any new shit, there will be another briefing in two hours. Cragen spins mm-hmm. on his heel right into a walk and talk with Benny and Stabes. They hit deets. The only person with keys to the house is the cleaning lady. They're sticking with the kidnapping being custody related. Adam's parents' divorce was finalized a month ago. Peter, the ex, moved out but still has a key because Caroline, the mom, never changed the locks. And I'm like, the Mm. dude still has a key? Bunch falls 30 feet from a tree and hits the pavement and he's like, divorce 101, (laughs) first thing my ex-wives did. And two, it's <sighs> smart woman. Come on, guys. I imagine Munch falling down and like landing like a superhero for a second. You know, <laughs> I heard some self-deprecation was needed here. <laughs> no, it's not. Are you adding something? I'm a pile of rats. Okay. <laughs> Scatter. <laughs> So Munch and Toots had gone looking for Peter, but the doorman at his building hadn't seen him since he left for work the day before. Caroline and Peter had a court date for 10 a.m., but it's 10.15 now, and he hasn't shown up to the courthouse yet. Mm. They also found out from precinct cops that Peter had been at the house every night for the past two weeks, except last night, demanding to see Adam. Just then, oh, Peter shows up. Caroline immediately starts screaming at him, like, oh, you took Adam. And he's like, I don't have him, you crazy bitch. And she goes, fucking Mm -hmm. ham until 
every detective is pulling her off. They split them up. Benny takes Caroline inside while Staves and Craig and tell Peter that they got to ask him some questions. Mm -hmm. But Peter responds by telling them that they have to wait until his lawyer gets there. Stabler and Craig speak telepathically with their eyebrows and they're like, lawyer. Hmm. I got Botox. I can't raise my eyebrows. Lawyer. They're wary of this dude. But also it's like there's a lot of custody shit going on and it seems a little tumultuous. She literally just attacked you after you called her a crazy bitch. I would also be calling a lawyer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Smart. I honestly think it's smart. It is. I don't know. I get what they're I get. I get it. It's supposed to lead us into this other direction. But it's like, let's stop. I'm like, let's stop doing this in 2023. Meanwhile, in 2003, (laughs) like this is 20 years ago, Tasha. Remember that. So now Peter is in the NYPD Mobile Command Center at the scene with SVU detectives and his lawyer. He's denying that he took Adam. He tells him that he stayed at his girlfriend's house the night before. And he's like, my girlfriend will vouch for me. Then he had gone to the DMV. I have receipts. And they're like, well, we couldn't reach you. And he's like, my cell phone was turned off. Oh, I missed the court date because I was on my way. But then I heard about my son on the cab radio and came to Caroline's apartment right away. He hates that they would even hint that he would put his son through this shit. Like, he's pissed. Uh It sounds like he's making a million excuses, which is mm, too convenient. But we know that it's not you because that's too simple for SVU. Mm -hmm. There's, There's absolutely no chance. Well, he's also like, take anything you want. Take my DNA. Take fingerprints. I don't fucking give a shit. Do it. Yeah, and he's also like, um, find my son. Yeah, you're wasting time. So outside the bus, Stabes had checked out all of Peter's alibi info. Check, check, check. Everything checks out. Benny comes off the bus and tells Daddy Craig and Stabes that the cleaning lady has been out of the country, so she hasn't been in the house since Friday. Craig wonders if Eric, Adam's brother, did something to Adam. Benson said mm-hmm. that it's possible that Eric is upset that his mom is paying so much attention to Adam, what with the custody battle going on between her and Peter. So now Eric's leaving with his dad, Steve, a.k.a. a John Ritter and Pete Holmes mashup man. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Stabler asks Stephen to step aside to talk. Benny stays with Eric to ask him questions. Eric tells Benson that Caroline had said she would hide Adam before she would let Peter take him. Ooh. So Hmm. on to Caroline now. Inside Caroline's apartment, she's confronted about the statement she made to Eric. She admits to what she says, but says it was just talk. She says she would never have hidden Adam. Stabler relates because he's a fucking dad. Dad relates. (sighs) (laughs) Just then, hot bomb squad crime lab guy comes in. He comes in and he just like announces, I've got something to show you guys now. And Benny turns to camera like, are you hearing this bitch? I'm Olivia (laughs) fucking Benson. He takes him back upstairs. He says that he thinks the mom is innocent. He found prints on the fire escape and the window screen and had discovered that the screen was actually cut from the outside. He took a microscope and found out that there was oxidation on the frame from being exposed to the elements. The window frame was just put on backwards. But the prints (gasps) ain't in the system. Kragen interrupts. Toots calls to let them know that Adam may have been spotted three blocks from the apartment. Three blocks. Three blocks. Mm -mm, Two blocks. (laughs) So now we're on Columbus Avenue. Toots tells them that the newspaper delivery guy saw a man carrying a boy in pajamas at 5 a.m. that morning. He called it in ASAP when he saw the news of the kidnapping. The whole gang's at the storefront. The gate is closed. Toots says that the delivery guy told him that the store is open every day, except for today, and no one can find the owner. Are they inside? Kragen's like, do it. Lift the gate. The gate is open. Fucking Stabler crouches down and sees a pair of legs moving. Toots dramatically breaks the glass 
glass door. It was weird. I watched it like three times because I was like, geez. <laughs> the man on the ground has a stomach wound. He's still alive. I think we've seen him before. Or maybe I've just seen him in movies. I'll tell you who he is. Go ahead. He's played by Adrian Martinez, a super recognizable face that is in so many roles, especially comedy roles. He was in Delocated. I loved that show. Do you remember that show? Never heard Where of it. it was like a family and witness protection and they had a reality show, but they all wore ski masks. It was great. Uh, Never heard of it. He was in Flight of the Concords, Kick-Ass, Cop-Out, American Hustle, Inside Amy Schumer, Curb. But one of the best credits to me as I dug through his IMDb was he was credited in a late night with Conan O'Brien sketch as Cigarette Baby Food Company president. <laughs> I think I recognize him from the Amy Schumer show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was in like three episodes of that. They find another male victim in the back of the store and he's dead. It's the owner. Benson, Stabler, and Toots bust down the door to the store's basement. They do a sweep. No one's in there. But it looks like somebody sleeps there. There's a fucking very well-made bed, like military well-made. Stabler bounces a quarter off his ass and then it bounces off of the bed and he's like, oh, (laughs) that's a tight bed. They just go, they just like hacky sack. Him in that bed, just like his butt, like hacky sack back and forth. There's a photo of a boy being held by a woman inside of the store, and it's found amongst all the belongings there. The little boy in the picture is circled, and the name Tate is written on the picture. But the boy in the photo is actually Adam. Why the fuck is this kidnapper calling him Tate? Yeah, it's like a stalkery picture, too. Like, he took it from a distance of this kid with his mom. Mm. We're still at the crime scene in the store. Toots briefs Craig and what's going on. The man that was wounded at the front store's name is Emilio. He's the assistant manager. The precinct cops say that the guy living in the basement, his name is Kevin. He hasn't been seen in about a day. And people say that Kevin is, quote, a little off. Kevin may have stabbed Adam and taking him out of the basement exit. There's a blood trail on the sidewalk. More photos of Adam are found. One has Adam circled and it says in Sharpie, I'm coming to get you, son. Another photo is of the fire escape that leads to Adam's room labeled Tate's room. Now Huang is on the scene. He doesn't think that Kevin is a pedophile because he could have, quote, his pick of any child in the street, but is like solely focusing on Adam and calling him his son. So that it, it just doesn't make sense that he's a pedophile. But he is in a volatile state. And they need to find him in a hurry before Adam inadvertently pisses him off. Back in Caroline's apartment, Benny and Staves show Caroline the photos from Kevin's basement living space. She knows Kevin from the grocery store, but she says that she's never let him in the house. Every time she and Adam went to the store, Kevin would give Adam a candy bar and she thought it was a little weird. Stabler gets a call Mm -hmm. and walks away to take it while Caroline is in disbelief that someone was stalking her five-year-old. Which, yeah. Mm -hmm. Staves comes back over. Assistant manager cigarette baby food company president is a Awake at the hospital. <laughs> at St. Catherine's Hospital, Emilio is awake from surgery and being interviewed in the Emilio! Dark <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that just wrapped it. What is that from? It's, fr- it's from oh. fucking uh, <laughs> yes. the Night at oh. the Roxbury. Night at the Roxbury when he's kidding. And yeah. then I was like, Emilio! <laughs> God, remember when that was a thing that people would just say all the time? Yeah. That was one of those movie well, quotes that's that we was had. Like, So, yeah, Emilio's awake from surgery and is being interviewed in the dark by Munch and Toots. It's a hospital room. Turn the fucking lights on. (laughs) So he tells them that Lester and Emilio came into the store and saw Kevin with Adam. Lester was like, "Mm, no, and told Emilio to take Adam home. And that set Kevin off. So then when Emilio tried to grab Adam away from Kevin, Kevin stabbed him. (laughs) 
Emilio goes on to say that Kevin has demons in his head. He lost his house and his family. Lester felt bad for him, so he let him work and stay at the store. Mm. A few days prior to Adam being taken, Kevin made a delivery to Caroline's. He had told Emilio that he knew where to make the delivery because he used to live across the street. Mm. And this performance by this normally comedic actor is very dramatic. Right. He's like, he said we were the hombres malos. And I was like, oh. I know what that means because I practice Spanish. <laughs> Outside the mobile command center, everybody's there. Munch tells us the cleaning lady let Kevin leave a candy bar on Adam's bed when he made the delivery. Benny and Stabes give what they got. The super from the building Kevin used to live in confirmed that he had lived there until about four years ago. Kevin was showing up to his job at an accounting firm drunk, so he was fired. He had also been exhibiting paranoia at the time. Kevin's family sold the apartment last year and moved away when Kevin started to beg on the street corner. Kevin and his wife had a son named Tate, who is currently five years old, the same age as Adam. Now he doesn't know where his family is. Mm. They all brainstorm on where he could have taken Adam and decide to ask the cops that know Kevin where he used to get food from before he was working at the grocery store, thinking they might find him at one of those places. Mm -hmm. So Benson Stabler are at these dumpsters that Kevin used to dumpster dive in, and they're not finding anything. Benson's like, another one empty! (laughs) Like, she (laughs) threw the thing down. But they see Kevin opening some dumpsters down the street. Benson goes up to him and asks for help, trying to be all chill, you know, like, hey, can you help me find blah, blah, blah? He's like, I can't help you right now. My son's waiting for me. I can't talk to you. I'm sorry. And she goes, your son, you mean Tate? This totally freaks out Kevin. And he starts backing away and he's yelling, Kashisi, Kashisi. He stopped by Stabler before he can run away. He's begging Stabler to not let Benson take his son. So I spent a long time on this Kashisi shit. Before finding mm-hmm. out that it was something that he made up. But Cassisti is Italian for casuists, which means an over-subtle or disingenuous reasoner. And I, I mean, I couldn't stop with this. And then I'm looking at Reddit threads and I'm whatever. I should have just waited because he explains it later. Also, Kevin is actor Leland Orser. He's been mm-hmm. in tons of iconic shit. Yeah. Seven, three episodes of Married with Children, Saving Private Ryan, Very Bad Things, Taken, 61 episodes of ER, Scandal, Taken 2, Ray Donovan, Taken 3. Like, There's a three? This guy, I guess. Who's taken at that point? Jeez. <laughs> it's about a sandwich in the community refrigerator in the break room. <laughs> Shut up, Tasha. <laughs> That's, and then fucking what's-his-face is like, I have a particular set of napkins. I'll, I don't know, whatever. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Pass. Sorry. Okay. We'll workshop that. Yeah. In the precinct, Kevin and Stabler are in an interview room. Stabler trying to talk to Kevin, but Kevin is totally distraught and thinks that Benson is watching him behind the glass and won't even have a conversation with him. This is the difference between having an incredible actor mm-hmm. in a role and not. Because yeah. this dude is killing it. I'm sorry. Rory Culkin, you tried, but Leland Forcer is crushing it. <laughs> Rory Culkin was like nine at the time too and this guy's like 42 so calm down maybe (laughs) but no but for sure it was just the first person i thought of but we've had guest stars before where you're like boo that we're trying to play up a quote-unquote mentally 
ill person. Remember when Toots had that episode with that one blonde chick and she was killing it? You could tell he was trying extra hard, but like isn't good. Yes. Remember? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. This dude won't even have a conversation with Stabler and refuses to tell him where Adam is. He keeps saying a bunch of stuff like snug as a bug in a rug and all these different words coming together. He's just like blathering. Then he starts saying that all of them are Kashisti. Stabler just pounds his hand on a table and trying to get Kevin's attention. Like, hey, listen to me. Juan comes in and pulls Stabler out of the room. Obviously, good choice. Why would you have Stabler in there, period? Right. So he tells him that Kevin suffers from paranoia and schizophrenia, and he's probably not going to get any information from him. He needs medication before he's stressed to the point of a psychotic break. Stabler wants Huang to give Kevin meds to calm him down, and Wong's like, I can't give him meds just to confess. He's not my patient. He's, yeah, he's not my patient. I could lose my license. Wong tells Stabler that they need to get Kevin to a psych hospital. Stabler is pissed and says that they don't have that kind of time. They're looking for Adam. Wong says he will see what he can do to speed things up and that hopefully Kevin will be able to talk to them in the morning. Out in the hall, Wong makes a phone call. Benson walks up. Kevin's family has been located in Jersey City, but they don't want anything to do with him. An ambulance is coming to take Kevin to Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital. All of a sudden, we can hear all this crashing, blah, blah, blah. Stabler's in the interview room with Kevin. Benson rushes to the room. Kevin throws a chair through the two-way mirror, which I didn't think was possible. I thought it was like bulletproof or something. I know, me too. Shattering reality. Yeah. Oh, there's a, there's a lot of dramatic glass break in this episode. Mm-hmm. Stabler's in there going like, I need a little help in here. <laughs> Kevin gets back into a corner with this chair that he threw through the thing. Stabler is able to get a hold of him. Craig is like, what the fuck happened in here? And Stabler says that he told Kevin he was going to the hospital and Kevin freaked out. I I fucking hate Stabler in this episode, by the way. Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. As Kevin is held down by Benson Stabler, he's yelling about spies and drones. Wong is like, somebody go get my medicine bag. Toots brings it to him and Huang gives Kevin Ativan and this dude is screaming at the top of his lung. No! No! I mean, I got chills. He was acting... He was acting so hard. I know. And he so was acting well. so He also good. gave him Haldol. Yeah, Ativan and Haldol, yeah. Kevin is then placed in the ambulance. Stabler tries to talk to him and asks where Adam slash Tate is. And he's just kind of out of it. He says, look out the window, Tater. See the man in the big white hat? But then passes out. <laughs> tater tot. <laughs> that? That is, that is fucking, oh, what Ron, is his name? He always drinks the Ron fucking. Ron White. Yeah. It's Ron White. This is my son, Tater Tot. I remember before I knew anything about comedy and I was like 10 and I saw that and was like, oh, nobody's funnier than this guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to be dead now, right? That shit was just apple juice. There's no way. No, I literally quoted him the other day, though. We had a a really tiny flight from Chicago back to Madison Mm -hmm. and they always put you on those little puddle jumper planes, you know? Mm -hmm. My kids are like, why is this plane so small? I'm like, I don't know. It's like a little stick of gum. Like, that's a fucking Ron White bit. What am I doing? <laughs> so weird that you brought him up. Huh. They get into the ambulance. Stabler's in there fucking just grilling Kevin, trying to get answers. Obviously, he's like, okay, now that he's drugged, I can get this information from him. And right away, we're like, this isn't cool. Stabler set this up on purpose. This isn't cool. The EMT gets in and checks the shit out of Stabler. This pocket-sized 20-something oh looks God, at Detective G.D. Stabler and goes, do you mind if we take him to the hospital now? Like she was yeah. such a badass. She's like, you're not going to get anything out of so, him. What did she say? Like, nuclear bomb could go off and he's not waking up. Do you yeah. mind? Right. So in the precinct, the whole gang is mapping out the areas they've covered and not covered. Toots tells Craig that they've been through every building in 12 blocks. Craig legit says, have them go two more blocks. I couldn't believe it. That's all you need. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Adam's been gone for 36 hours. 
They're still trying to decode what Kevin said in the ambulance and are searching for any possible addresses Kevin lived at before. He could be flashing back to his own childhood, so they gotta check out the places he lived at as a kid. They find one from when he was 17. That's like the earliest it goes back. So now we're at Kevin's old address in the Bronx. Benny and Stabes show up in their Saturday casuals where uniformed cops have already been combing the area. The actual address turned out to be a parking lot, but these uniformed cops check both buildings on either side and there's no sign of them, as in Adam. Mm-hmm. Benny and Staves get back in the car and fucking squeal the tires to show that they're in a rush. There's so much tire squealing right now. Like, it mm-hmm. didn't even make any sense. A lot, of, a lot of glass crashing and tire squealing. The guy who does the sound, like the extra sound in the studio is like, I am highly underused. I am rich. Ever since, ever <laughs> since I did those wood doors crashing to the floor when it was <laughs> a metal door, they're not giving me anything to do anymore. <laughs> Here's your chance. That was a callback. Mary will remember that. This is my chance. This is my moment. Okay. <laughs> Justice Stabes. Don't, don't, ugh. That was funny. Don't do that. What? Don't, you were like, okay. ugh. It all was right. funny. Okay. Well, okay. Well, you laughing is all that matters. <laughs> so they're in the car. Justice Staves is like, damn it, we have no other leads. <gasps> Benson spots a man in a white hat down a side street. It's a bakery sign with a cartoon baker on it wearing all white. That's the ticket. Squeal! The building across the street that was the tire squealing. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was one of those toad butt farts. Wee! <laughs> Check out Patreon. The building across the street. <laughs> Check out our Patreon. Okay, the building across the street from the sign is boarded up and condemned. Benny and Stabes call out to Adam, but don't get a response. If you could hear us bang on something. Instead of going in, they're just like yelling from outside the building. I don't know. When they go around back, they do hear Adam banging on something. Just like they asked. OMG, he's inside. yeah, he's five, and I don't think that that would happen. Right, yeah. It was it was an interesting choice. You know, you would think that they would just go in with flashlights and shit. But, so they're like, oh my god, he's inside. We gotta get in there. Stabes runs to the car to grab a crowbar and flashlights while Benny fucking rips this plywood boarding off the entryway. Like, rips it off its fucking frame like an adrenaline mom lifting a car. I know. It was I saw that. incredible. She'll be driving from now on, Stabler. <laughs> yeah, right? I thought it was crazy because he's like, we gotta go get a crowbar. And I'm like, dude, you... You have butt busted through every door that's ever been made in this universe. What are you talking about? Get a right. crowbar. What, what happened to you just fucking high kicking the door the down? The next door that they come upon in the scene, he kicks down. Oh my God. I laughed so fucking hard when they did. So they're, they're getting in this place. I did. I noticed it too. Benny calls for backup as they rush inside. So it was like, are you all right? Because she's just ripped this. Oh, it was amazing. Stabler knocks down the second door, but he does it in a way that is very delicate. He does it like he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. He's like, Ugh. he pushes it down. As they look around, Stabler hits a weak spot in the floor and falls through, but catches himself. And he's like, oh, my armpits. And Adam, which is fine. Like, I don't know why I'm making fun of him, but like, Benny's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I mean, my armpits like totally hurt, but I guess I'll keep looking. It's fine. I guess. And Adam keeps clanking on a pipe or whatever. They find Adam. He's tied up with tape on his mouth, but he's fucking alive. Aww. He tells them, oh, and it was, he was such a cute little, they gently take the tape off his mouth. And he tells them that Kevin hurt the people in the store and told Adam that he was protecting him. 
Sounds so scary. Then a squad car pulls up and cops run in with guns, which is not scary for a little kid to see happening right after he was traumatized. (laughs) Right. Adam is saved. On to the legal portion of the show. Kevin's legal aid attorney, Rebecca Balthus, walks into Novak's office. Fuck yeah, dude. It's fucking Beverly D'Angelo, Ellen Griswold from all the vacations, Lurleen Lumpkin from The Simpsons, Babs from Entourage. I knew you were going to like lose it after I saw her. I was like, here we go. I love her. But I'll tell you, she plays Rebecca Balthus in five episodes leading up to season nine and then doesn't show back up in this universe until season 23. Obviously as Balthus because she was a reoccurring character. No, as (gasps) fucking Carisi's mom. What? She comes back. Yeah, she is Carisi's mom 18 seasons from now. Weird. It's okay, SVU. She was a reoccurring character. And they're like, nobody remembers that. Nobody's that into this show. Like, okay. (laughs) Weird. I know. They don't even dye her hair. She's just, she looks exactly, it's Beverly D'Angelo. It's just, it's ridiculous. That's so weird. But right now she is Kevin's legal aid attorney. Balthus tells Novak that trying Kevin is a waste of time and money because he's a quote lunatic. She's a real bitch. This whole fucking. She is. She's like. Mm -hmm. Cause the little people are talking in each head. I'm like, okay, shit. Sorry. Mm, She's great though. I know. These two argue back and forth. Novak's rattling off all the terrible crimes that he committed. But then Balthus is arguing that Kevin has schizophrenia and a jury would never convict him, which I'm like, they totally have, which isn't okay either. But okay. Balthus doesn't get hyped at all during this. Novak's just like, well, yeah, but then he did this and then he did this. And like, are you fucking kidding me? And Balthus is like, yeah, well, um, okay, we're pleading insanity and I'm getting cheese fries. So, yeah, she said it just like that, too. Just like whatever. Yeah. She goes to walk out and tells Novak that Kevin's going to be examined. So Novak better read the psych records. And Novak goes, um, the records aren't good enough. He needs to be examined by our dude, fucking Huang. And Balthus is like, whatever. Cool. Fine. Bye. Right. (laughs) Now we're with Huang examining Kevin. So Kevin is lucid at this point in this interview. Mm hmm. So he tells Huang that he first began hearing voices at 25 and he called them Kashistis. He drank to get rid of them, but it stopped working. The voices in his head told him that Adam was Tate and to stalk Adam. The Kashistis to Kevin are secret police who know everything and they go away when doctors give him drugs. Kevin doesn't want to tell Huang why he stopped taking his meds, but does tell Huang about the night he took Adam. He says he told Adam not to scream because he wasn't going to hurt him, but Adam was scared, just like Lester, the store owner that he stabbed. Kevin doesn't want to talk about what happened to Lester. He didn't want to kill him and he didn't mean to. He says he was the only person who ever tried to help me. Mm. Mm. The Kashistis told Kevin to hurt Lester because they said Lester was going to call the police and the cops would take who he thought was Tate, which was Adam. Mm -hmm. So then Kevin's talking about this interaction with Stabler where he freaked out. He was scared of Stabler and that's why he threw the chair. He tells Huang that Stabler told him the Kashistis would take his son and if Kevin didn't tell them where Adam was, they would kill Kevin. Uh, holy shit it go like pans up to huang's face and he's like uh-uh that motherfucker right Mm-mm. okay so now we're in fucking motherfucking daddy craigan's office it's spanking time oh dude pull down your pants fellas even your undies okay never mind <laughs> Jesus. get that wooden spoon <laughs> it's the red spoon if you're at home okay anyways huang 
confronts Stabler. Stabler's like, it's not coercion. You're like, what a fucking piece of shit. Wong is pissed and calls Stabler out for pissing off Kevin so that Huang would have to give him drugs and Stabler could try and get a fucking confession. Stabler's like, I did what I had to do so we could find Adam. They're yelling at each other and Craigan breaks it up. He's like, all right, fellas, relax. Craigan asks Huang if the medication hurt Kevin. Huang says no, but it's fucking Kevin's choice to take the medication. They don't have the right to make that decision for him. Stabler's being a real fucking piece of shit and tells Huang to stop treating Kevin like he's a patient and does this sassy little like wink thing. And Huang yells back, he fucking became my patient the second I gave him that injection. Stabler yells at Huang to start thinking about the victims. Adam, the two dudes that Kevin stabbed. Huang says to Stabler, you fucking made Kevin a victim. Huang says that he will testify on Kevin's behalf if the case goes to trial. And Huang thinks Kevin will win because Stabler just handed the defense a win. Stabler's like, oh, how's that? Wong opens the door and turns around and says, because the court can get you to admit that Kevin was not rational until he needed the meds, which would mean he wasn't responsible for his actions before he was medicated. You get it now? And takes off. And I was like, my nips are so hard. It was Oh my awesome. God. Duh. Duh, Stabler. And, and this yep. is where we all go, mm, let's let the thinkers do the thinking, buddy. Yeah. We love some Stabler, but... We love you throwing on that fat ass and, and not showing up at kids' birthday parties. <laughs> so Huang leaves and Stabler has this look on his face like, fuck. But he goes, guy didn't do anything wrong to Kragen. <sighs> Fucking Jesus Christ. Kragen's like, hey... Craigan is a fucking saint, by the way. Craigan mm-hmm. tells him that he gets why Stabler did what he did. Craigan then tells Stabler that if he has to confess how he coerced a confession from Kevin, it's going on the record. Every other perp from here on out that Stabler has arrested will come for him. Their lawyers will make him tell every jury that he coerced a confession from Kevin. And then Stabler's finally, he doesn't even admit that he was wrong. He just goes, how could I make this right? I'm like, I don't know. Take your pants off. That's the start. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. I don't know. Okay. Now we're at the batting cages, which made me want to go fucking hit some balls around, which I haven't done in forever. Craig and asks Novak to plead Kevin out. This whole time, she's just fucking swinging. She's just playing for the fences. Yeah. He's like, he got some pop on that bat. And she's like, what are you doing here? I know you didn't come here to see me fucking hit softballs around. He won't tell Novak why he wants her to plead him out. So, of course, she refuses. Kragen tells her that SVU is different than where she worked before in felonies. Every case was a different cop for her. With SVU, it's just them and they need to, quote, trust each other. Don't even with that shit. Don't boys in blue fucking whatever. She's like, dude, I don't know you. And that's a lot of fucking trust to ask. Craigan tries to get her to empathize with Stabler. She's got to keep him anonymous and says that his career will basically be over if this case goes to trial. So she doesn't know what the fuck Stabler did, but she's choosing to trust Craigan. Novak agrees after Craigan assures her that what Stabler did was necessary, that Kevin wasn't hurt, and that she won't get her ass kicked in court on the technicality. And he's like, oh, yeah, totally. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Why ever believe anybody from that group? <laughs> It's well, just also, like saying, like, they can't hurt you anymore. Yes, they can. They always do. Everything okay. you guys say, uh, it's not true. It's lies. You're lying. It's lies. No, they're not lying. They 
they really believe it. I think the wrong move was to bring up the fact that it would destroy his career. Who gives a shit about his career? You're a lawyer. With, I mean, I think the main point is that you're going to have people coming out of the woodwork to get that reasonable doubt, baby, because you are mm-hmm. somebody who forces confessions out of people that you fucking coerce mm-hmm. shit. And that's going right. to cause legal issues with people that are rightfully in prison. Maybe he couldn't say all of that, but like, it's going to fuck his career. Like, <laughs> Right. I just cannot believe that he used somebody's like mental illness stuff against the person. Mm-hmm. Very gross. Whispering like, they're coming. They're coming for you. That's fucking not cool. Mm-mm. Now we're at trial. Kevin is standing up and he's telling the court he kidnapped Adam because he thought he was Tate. And then he stabbed the two men because he thought they would take Adam away. Kevin tells him that he was unmedicated and that he's super sorry. Kevin is sentenced to time in a mental health facility. Kevin gets upset and doesn't want to go because he thinks they'll murder him, just like they murdered someone named Martha. We're like, what? Who's Martha? Yeah, who the fuck is Martha? Kevin screams at Stabler that it's his fault and that they sent Stabler there to shut him up so he wouldn't talk about Martha. He's screaming, don't let them kill me, as he's being carried away by two officers. Everybody is like, what the fuck's going on? On the hallway, Novak gets fucking right in Stabler's face and she's like what the fuck was he talking about Stabler's like I don't fucking know and she is pissed Mm -hmm. she tells Stabler to find out who the fuck Martha is or she will expose the quote dirty little secret she covered by pleading Kevin out she doesn't Mm -hmm. fuck around no she's like I'm not letting this shit affect me what the fuck is going on and she was like Mm -hmm. in his face and I loved it I loved it too like she is not gonna be pushed around she's like I'm not gonna cut bangs bitch sit down (laughs) yeah don't do that and make (laughs) you straight Back in the precinct, Craig and Stabes are doing a walk and talk about what Novak wants Stabler to do. They can't get a hold of Kevin's psych records because of the plea agreement, so Stabes is freaking out because without those, he can't prove to Novak that he's not trying to cover up this Martha murder. I mean, we're all just finding out about this. Yeah. I love how he's like, oh, what what the hell am I supposed to do? I got myself in this situation. It's like, who's going to fix this? Well, they walk up to Benny's desk and she tells them that she just got off the phone with Kevin's social worker. Kevin was Mm. never institutionalized. He just stayed at a, quote, home called Jackson Manor for people with mental illness for three years. But he walked out a year ago. Munch comes out of nowhere and chimes in and says that Jackson Manor told them that there hadn't been a homicide there since the early 80s. And I'm like, is that good? Is that a flex? Like, (laughs) nobody's been murdered here for a while. Nobody's ever been murdered at my house. (laughs) Oh my God, I need to knock on wood. Okay. I'm Um, coming for you. When Kevin left Jackson Manor, he had told an aide that he was going home to see his wife and son. All right, well, off to the home of Julia Walker, Kevin's ex-wife in Jersey City. Julia tells Stabes that she already told them she didn't want to talk about Kevin. And Stabler's like, we need to talk about Kevin, starring Tilda Swinton. (laughs) (laughs) Julia says that Kevin used to constantly talk about Martha because she lived next door to him at Jackson Manor. And then says that, At one point last year, Kevin called her and said that he had been kicked out of Jackson Manor and asked to move back home. Uh, She was like, I I don't think it's a good idea. And he's like, listen, I'm doing well. I'm on my meds. I'm stable. So she felt okay with him coming home. She never stopped loving him, by the way. She loved him. She loves Mm -hmm. him. He's just not well and he needs help. And it's too difficult for her and their son to to deal with. Like, she doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And there was so much lying because of his illness and she just couldn't take Mm -hmm. that. 
She yeah. told him that he could come over the next day, but then he didn't show up until a week later and was talking about the Kashisti's not being able to find him at the apartment and doing his stuff where she, she knew he wasn't on his meds anymore. So she made him leave. Mm-hmm. Then he told Julia that Jackson Manor had run out of his medication. That's why he wasn't taking it. And we're all like, what? She's like, that can't, that's not a thing. That can't be true. So that was a lie. Or is it? Dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. Back at the precinct, Stabler's at his desk and Huang walks over. Wait, did you notice that Stabler was like one finger typing? <laughs> that's, no. That's how far along he got on his like search for the truth. <laughs> search for the truth. So Huang walks up and there's just this tender little conversation where mm-hmm. they can't be completely open with their feelings. Huang is just meeting Stabler where he is because I'm sure Huang knows how to communicate. Yeah, I mean he literally came up to him and was like, hey, I heard you're all jammed up. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you're jammed mm-hmm. up. Try some Metamucil. Oh, God. No. Dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Papa's back. <laughs> all right. Um, Okay. So Huang really just came in to tell Stabler that he had gotten a call from Novak asking about like what the fuck is going on, what's Stabler's deal, da da da. And Huang had told her that yes, he gave Kevin an injection. No, it did not harm him. And Kevin is where he needs to be. Mm-hmm. See, he's still got Stabler's back even when Staves is being a fucking butthole. Mm-hmm. Then he shows Stabler the info that he found on Martha because he found out that Stabler was looking for that too. But boop boop boop, he got it for him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I think. That would warrant Stabler to own his shit, but I guess we're not going to do that today. Turns out Martha's cause of death was suicide. It's possible that Jackson Manor wasn't providing the proper care to the residents and using the money to line their pockets instead of making sure the patients had meds. Stabler Mm. wants to go ask Kevin why he said that Martha was murdered. Now we're at the Bellevue prison ward. Kevin and Belthus are in the room when Huang and Stabler walk in. They stand up. Kevin goes, stands in a corner Stabler apologizes to Kevin for what he did. <laughs> Huang pops his head in and he's like, must be nice. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm really sorry for what I did. But that little boy might have died if I hadn't found him. And I'm like, um, that's not how you apologize, Stabler. Just say you're sorry for what you did. So like, am I wrong? Right. And Kevin's like, I know, I know, I know. He's like, that's not, that's not how you... I apologize. Okay. Doesn't matter. Moving on. That's all you're going to get. Kevin asks him what they want. Huang tells Kevin that he knows he was telling the truth about Martha in court. Kevin says he can't talk about Martha because the people from the home will, quote, get him. Stabler tells Kevin that the people from the home can't hurt him anymore. I wish they would stop telling people that. And they have to be stopped and they need his help. Kevin starts talking. Kevin says that one day during a heat wave, Martha locked herself in her room and she would not come out. Kevin asked the staff to help her because she was, quote, burning up. But if you want to turn on the air conditioner, you have to pay extra. And she couldn't afford to pay extra, so they didn't turn it on. Later that night, they put her in a cold bath and she fucking died. They told Kevin that she slit her wrist, but he knew they were lying. And he told them that he was going to call the police. So the very next day, Kevin went for his meds and they told him that they ran out. Oh, interesting. He checked for four days and they didn't have the meds. Kevin was then told that they didn't have room for him and he had to leave and they wouldn't give him his stuff. They told Kevin that if he told anyone the same thing that happened to Martha, what happened to him? Huang says that whoever owns Jackson Manor is as guilty of killing Lester, the convenience store guy, as they would be if they had stabbed him themselves. Stabler thanks Kevin and promises him that they will make things right. Kevin asked Stabler if he could get the photo of his son that he had to leave at Jackson Manor because they wouldn't let him take his things. And Stabler gives him finger guns and he's like, yeah, buddy. 
Yeah, buddy. You got to Yeah. Now we're at Jackson Manor. Benson and Stabler are there. There's no security or anyone working at the front desk. The patients are smoking and walking around without pants. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's attending to anybody. But Stabler and Benson find someone that's handing out meds. They go up to her and ask to see Kevin's record, but the woman doesn't speak English. Benson takes the clipboard and a man rushes over and he's like, put it down. And Benson made this funny face like... <laughs> What are you doing? And pulls the clipboard to her chest and Stabler (laughs) smacks the dude's hand away. It was really funny. So this man is Randall Haber. He's the owner of Jackson Manor. Stabler's like, oh, perfect. Here's a fucking order to release Kevin's records. Mm -hmm. And he's so happy about it. So the clipboard has a log on it and it says that Kevin was given medication the night before. Um, but Kevin hasn't lived there in a year. Ooh. Benson arrests Haber for fraud. Haber tells him that they're making a mistake and that his wife is on the city council. Slabler says, oh, really? That's great. We'll call her and see if she wants to join you while we parade your sorry ass in front of the TV cameras. (laughs) So now Novak is speaking with Haber and his lawyer. Haber claims he didn't even know Kevin wasn't living at Jackson Manor anymore. Novak calls him out for keeping Kevin in the book so that he could get paid by the state. And she says, those people aren't your fucking personal cash cows anymore. And his mouth turns into the tiniest little butthole. He had like the best butthole mouth and it was funny because at this i typed this in i was voice texting and and laughing and it caught my little like (sighs) at the end it like made a little like thing (laughs) haber's lawyer tells novak to charge him so they can fucking make bail she's like oh cool oh my god this dude that plays the lawyer plays abe lincoln on future man it's such a good show i can't shut the fuck up yes oh god is there any more seasons or they just had like three right the last one was in 2020 yeah three seasons I know, so good. Novak opens the door so that Stabler and Kevin can come in. Haber and his lawyer are like, what the fuck is going on? Stabler arrests Haber for the murders of Lester and Martha. And Haber is like, Martha committed suicide. But the body was exhumed. She died of severe heat stroke. Kevin says it's because Haber refused to turn on her air conditioning. Stabler also tells Haber he's responsible for Lester's death. They kicked Kevin out and didn't give him his meds. Haber's lawyer looks at Novak and immediately tries to make a deal. Haber's like, what? No! Are you crazy? I'm not making a deal. Kevin tells Haber that he heard him tell the aide at Jackson Manor to cut Martha's wrists. Haber's like, who's going to believe this guy? He's a mental patient. And then Novak's like, uh, this dude is back on his meds and perfectly lucid and is our star witness. Novak counteroffers the deal. Two counts of man one, 15 years. Haber obviously protests. And then Novak is like, uh, you can either take the deal or get 25 to life from a jury. Your, your call. Stabler puts him in cuffs and he takes the deal. And he's so fucking goddamn slimy. Mm-hmm. He's so shocked that this is happening too. And they... I just really think they did a good job casting this piece of shit. Yeah, they did. Now we're at the Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Facility. Stabler goes to visit Kevin. Uh, Stabler, unfortunately, wasn't able to get the photos of Kevin's son because they tossed everything. But he was able to get him a $2 Walgreens (laughs) point-and-click fucking camera. (laughs) And Kevin's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, what is this for? Kevin's ex-wife and son come into the room. With a giant check. (laughs) And a ton of balloons. Just the way Stabler presented it, it was like... I know. He's like, you guys, wait out here. They're like, you really want to see him? He's like, wait out here. here. I'm doing a thing. (laughs) I spent at least $2.99 on this. The wife says, I brought him to see how great his dad is doing. Uh And Tate's wearing this like cute little like, I'm an athlete shirt. Not an athlete, but like a varsity jacket, you know. Oh, yeah. For a kid. But it's like like, really, it's like a kid one. It just says, I was just... (laughs) 
I was just going to say, it just says sports. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a twins. Tate goes over to his dad. Kevin tells him he missed him so much and hug him. Stabler watches and gets dad jealous and goes over and punches Kevin and tries to <laughs> hug Tate even harder than Kevin. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I ended it by saying Tate goes over to his dad. They talk and hug as the camera zooms in on Stabler squishing out a tear or two. Wow. Looks like we all learned something today. <laughs> Toyota. That's why I was like, I can't wait to do this. Oh, yeah. Toyota. <laughs> I can't wait to do this episode just for the very last sentence that I wrote. <laughs> Gets dad jealous. <laughs> Tries to hug Tate harder than Kevin ever could. <laughs> oh, you think he's a dad? I can dad more. I can be a, a more dad to Tate than you and Adam. All of them. <laughs> fucking his kids piling us us too dad not you no, you idiots get out of here <laughs> so this chaser there were a few options for me right and there was this whole through line at the end that kind of carried over what happened in its entirety was about the mistreatment of people in privately owned facilities but that mm-hmm. hits a little too close to home for me beep, beep. so i focused mm-hmm. on stabler's little slip up instead in this episode i hope that's Ooh, i, I was convinced you were gonna do the amber alert story because i just was like watching a documentary on it oh because they mentioned an ember alert went out so i thought like maybe she's gonna f- jump on that because sometimes i'm I'm like, ooh, she like went a little off to the left field and grabbed something over there. I'm excited, you know. Oh, shit. But this sounds good. This sounds good. Okay. It's not good. It's terrible. But (laughs) I know what you mean. In 2002, 27-year-old Magnus Gafkin was a sixth-year law student at Goethe University in Frankfurt, Germany. I'm going to mispronounce this shit because... I failed German, so. Did you? I did. I took a few years of it just because I wanted to go on the German trip, but I could not focus in class at all. Gafkin was acquainted with the Metzler family, who were a generations old banking dynasty. They're very well known in Germany. On Friday, September 27th of that year, 11-year-old Jacob von Metzler, heir to the family fortune, disappeared after a friend had last seen him at the bus stop. An hour later, the Metzler family received a ransom note stating that Jacob would be returned to them unharmed once they came up with 1 million euros, which is like 1.1 million US dollars. And that was in 2002. So now it would be like 1.8 million dollars. On Sunday, just a couple days later, the family was able to get the ransom together and get it to the pickup spot that they were instructed to go to. Police then watched that location and saw Magnus Gafkin retrieving the money. Of course, Jacob would have no issue going with this guy because he knew him. You know, he was a family acquaintance. I'm sure he could have said anything and he would have gone with him. And that made me think of this thing that I recently saw on TikTok that I took to John. And now, like, we're incorporating it into our parenting. Because remember, I'm saying this like we didn't all grow up with this. But the whole idea of stranger danger, Mm -hmm. a person you don't know could take you, a person you don't, you know, stranger danger, don't talk to strangers. It's always somebody you don't know, but it's like nine out of ten, somebody that you do know. And then that's been the conversation for however many years where they're like, well, it's almost always somebody that you do know. So like, how do we talk about that? And there was this TikTok that was really maybe go, holy shit, huh? Was that you that, or maybe it was somebody else that said the stranger danger campaign was like one of the biggest fuck ups of 
the yeah. 80s and 90s. I think I probably said it in a, in a chaser. But the thing that we focus on now because of this TikTok that I saw is not stranger danger, but strange behaviors. So strange behaviors can be presented by anybody. They can be presented by someone you don't know, somebody you know, and a strange behavior from an adult would be, you know, an adult needing your help with something. Like adults don't ask kids mm -hmm. to help them with things. That is something that they would ask another adult. Or a strange behavior would be your mom told me to come and get you because mom would tell you if someone else was going to come and get you. That's a strange behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if you really trust that person, if they touch you somewhere that we've told you that other people aren't allowed to touch you or anywhere that makes you uncomfortable, that's a strange behavior. And when someone exhibits a strange behavior, you always just come and tell mom and dad. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh my God, this is mind-blowing because it can get really overwhelming to try to figure out like hey yeah like you can trust your uncle and you love him but like don't go into a room alone with him but like don't worry about it but like you know you never know you know what i mean so this is without yeah so just being like that it casts such a wide net right and so the kids are instead of being on the lookout for oh people are trying to hurt me they can just be on the lookout for that's a strange behavior and that's something and i have to tell my mom and dad about yeah. strange behaviors i think it's mm -hmm. i think it's fucking brilliant. Anyway, so it just triggered me to think about that fucking TikTok thing that I saw and how much I love it. And I hope another parent hears this and starts using the strange behavior concept because it was really mind-blowing for me. Back to the story, though. Hours later, after Jacob was still not released, Gafkin was arrested. The cops just went and they're like, you're not going to release this kid. We're going to fucking arrest you. He had a large amount of money in his apartment. Mm -hmm. In that time, he had planned a trip and ordered a new Mercedes, but Jacob was nowhere to be found in the apartment. Police spent hours in interrogating Gafkin, but, but he refused to tell them where this young boy was. The police were freaking out. The kid was 11 years old. It was late September, early October. They've got no clue where to find him. It's been nearly four days at this point. So they're in the same boat that Stabler was in. This kid could be cold, hungry, any number of things. And the German cops said, fuck it. And with the permission of the deputy police chief of Frankfurt, Wolfgang Daschner, these cops told Gafkin that a specialist was being flown in on a helicopter to perform torture interrogation techniques on him. What? They scared the shit out of him. They were like, this guy's going to do shit yeah. to you that you can't even imagine. None of that was true. Jeez. Uh, and it only took a few minutes for that threat to turn into Gafkin telling police where Jacob was. Okay. He was in a rural area outside of Frankfurt. And when the police went to get him, they found him dead, wrapped in plastic. Oh. He had actually been killed almost immediately in Gafkin's apartment by having duct tape put over his nose and mouth. After Gafkin realized Jacob was dead, he submerged him in the bathtub just to make sure. Jesus. And like hearing all this stuff, I don't think Gafkin intended to kill him for a few reasons. I think he was fucking stupid and suffocated this poor kid by being like, well, I got to keep you quiet, you know, and put this over his face. Because what he did was he brought him into the apartment, tied him up, and then Jacob started screaming like, what the fuck? So then he put the tape over his mouth to get him to be quiet and then put the tape, mm -hmm. you know, over just any where he could breathe from, which was like Jesus Christ. But there yeah. were a lot of kidnappings 
for ransom happening in Germany specifically at this time. Hmm. And it usually went pretty well. They would kidnap a kid. They would get a bunch of money. They would release the kid. It happened. There were multiple. I wonder why that was going on. Examples. I mean, because people could get away with it, I guess. I guess people were getting away with it. So that was a way to get easy money and people wanted their kids back. So it was just an exchange that was made. So, yeah. But of course, obviously not saying that to excuse the fact that he murdered this kid. You know, it was just like, uh, I think the intention was money. The motive was money. For ransom, but he's just stupid. But he's fucking stupid. So apparently the threat of a torture specialist (laughs) was not legal. So that spun this into an entirely other issue. A New Mm. York Times article I read said this about the backlash the police department received from the public when everything came out. Quote, the case has special resonance in Germany where the history of Nazism and the Gestapo lends to great sensitivity to anything that smacks of police misbehavior. Mm. The defense tried to get the case dismissed, which Judge Hans Bockel denied. He did rule that any information Gafkin personally gave to the police was inadmissible. The judge had said, quote, the testimony was not obtained in accordance with the Constitution or German law and is clearly inadmissible, but in view of the grave accusations against the accused, the damage done by these errors is not so serious that the trial has to be discontinued. Okay. You know, I mean, he's not going to completely throw the case out. This kid was murdered. Yeah. And there was plenty of other evidence that... I guess yeah. him telling them it led to the finding of the body, but... It could just be different law-wise, you know, in Germany. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like here it'd be like, yes, masked, or unless they like had a certain Something. amount of time to like find. But the, the police also, I mean, what they did have against him was they knew that it was him who had kidnapped him mm-hmm. because they saw him do the pickup. They just couldn't find the location. Yeah. Right. They couldn't find the location to find the body. So it's interesting. It's interesting. I wonder what they would have done in the U.S. So Deputy Police Chief Doshner felt like his tactics were completely justified. They were trying to save this kid who they at the time didn't know was not alive anymore. In the end, Doshner received a suspended sentence of a 10,800 euro fine for ordering the threats and the subordinate who followed through was fined 3,600 euros. Magnus Gafkin was sentenced to life in prison. He has since published an autobiography and had begun plans to establish the, listen to this, Gafkin Foundation to quote, help children who had been victims of crime sparked controversy he dropped those plans once he found out that the proper authorities were like um yeah we're never gonna let that be registered you fucking psycho you what the fuck in 2017 he applied to be released on probation which was rejected i wanted to find some news sources like some i wanted to watch some news stuff but everything was in fucking german and again i failed that class so all i could go on were like the few english translated articles yeah Hmm. but fucked up right yeah never heard of that one before you're so stupid (laughs) all right next week we got season five episode seven choice a dude is arrested for attacking his pregnant wife but he really wants her to be charged with neglect because she is pregnant and drinking a bunch then benson finds out that it's not the first time a kid has been hurt by this woman because of her alcoholism and this is how benson's mom died right in the earlier season she died uh yeah alcoholism as a result of being an alcoholic Yeah. yeah Yeah, so this is going to be like a Benson feely one. Mm -hmm. Benson feels. The classic Benson feels. Over-involved and... Underappreciated. You're connecting too much to the Vicks. All right, dudes, that's it. Rate and review us. 
Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us treats and prezzies at P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. We just got a whole little collection of cutie, wonderful things, and we're so happy and grateful. Check out our Instagram at svupod. Join the Facebook group, svupod Elite Squad. We also have a chat on there called Walk and Talk, and it's pretty sweet. Hashtag little bit loud to get all of your little indie pods. Join the Patreon. We have so much fucking content. It's insane. So we posted about this in our Instagram, but uh, you might not be following. So we want to make sure and let you know. As of February 15th, we will no longer be including a personalized video from us in the Elite Squad tier. Usually when somebody joins, they get all of the benefits plus a video that we make for them. That's like a few minutes of us digging down their Instagram and talking about stupid shit. We have loved making them. We really have. But it's gotten to be a lot. Not a complaint. That is an amazing problem to have. Yeah. So we had to figure out a different way of doing things. We're not just going to take something out of the tier, though, and not replace it with something else. So we've been designing a new sticker pack that's strictly for people that join the Elite Squad. So if you join the Elite Squad after February 15th, you're going to be getting this fucking ridiculous sticker pack instead of a video. But you have up until February 15th to join and get a video. Yes, absolutely. And we are going to make the sticker packs available for purchase for people who are current Elite Squad members because like it's only fair, you know, but they're not going to be available anywhere else. If you want a video from us, you can still get one, but just go to our merch store on svupod.com and we'll have them for sale individually there. Yeah. So go check it out. (laughs) Just check it out if you want. If not, fine. Whatever. Check, check, check it out. <laughs> I love you. Love, love you. Bye. Um, oh. Hot bomb squad. Ooh. No, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I. it's, it's, uh, but I'm. No, Huang was trying to lead you this entire time, but your fucking ego can't get checked. And I get, I your get it. Big, His... fat, quivering ego. Oh my right. God. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's what I'm known for. <laughs> my mush mouth. <laughs> I'm making a dick joke. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a dinosaur. That's why I like those. Ooh. It sounds like a dinosaur. That's why I like those. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't wait for this life to be over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elkie H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Kayla W., Mallory G., Bonita R., Marin, Vanessa, Amy P., Melanie G., Courtney Dibbs, Ursula S., Kate H., Ooh, Ooh Yaga, Catherine M., Kate P., Jessica S., Nicole M., Acacia V., Kelsey D., Jenna M., Joshua H., Tammy J., Bear, Crystal, Lucy M., Trisha S., Sam D., Emily A., Mac Attack, Casey W., Abby W., Alexis J., Lauren T, Cassandra S, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, K Allen, Katie M, Crystal B, Jessica P, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Liana, Madison H, Emily. Oh, 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 oh. I don't have one for that. For t- <laughs> <laughs> 
Emily, ow! <laughs> Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Quentin S, Amber Lee C, Laura H, Louise M, Eliza W, and Katarina G. We love you and appreciate you. You're making all this possible for us to continue doing this. We think you're great. Thank you so much. Much. Love you. Thank you guys so fucking much. Stop. You bitch. All right. I love you. I love you. Bye.